0: Welcome back to the thing with feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. I am delighted to have with us today, Heather Lefebvre. Heather is a nature journaler in the Midwest who loves sharing the joy and wonder of creation. And part of my hope today is that she will bring us back to the love and the creativity that I think many of us experienced when we were children that we've, we've drifted away from in our adult lives because that joy is still there. Heather, thank you so much for the gift of your time and for being on The Thing with Feathers. I am so excited to be here and to share this time of discussing nature and
1: birds. And yes, the delight that children have when they go outside and discover nature is something that I really feel all of us as adults need to make a point to continue to foster throughout our life.
0: It's so true. So start us off by telling us a little bit about why nature journaling. You are a big believer that this is a path toward a lot of goodness. Why nature journaling in particular?
1: Well, I was coming to a point in my life where my kids were finishing up with their homeschooling and I needed a part-time job. And a friend said to me, you know, you could teach nature journaling. And I thought, yes, this would be perfect. I could teach continue on with teaching and i could incorporate my love of nature and my love of painting and learning all in one thing and i just went with it and it just began to develop in me this awareness of how important nature connection is and the nature journaling is a way of recording our relationship with nature and of remembering when we when we have an experience, often sometimes we so easily forget it. But journaling it was a way to preserve the memory, to preserve the knowledge that I was learning, I think in a way to make it special. Um, so I just kind of started down that path. And the more and more that I learned, the more passionate I become about it. The just the way that nature can have such a wonderful positive effect on us. And then, not even to mention the benefit for us as spiritual beings and our relationship with God, which we can go into at some point too. Mm.
0: So I, I have a background, I was homeschooled for a few years, and I, I didn't realize that connection, but it, it makes a lot of sense that you, you homeschooled your kids, because I think some of this comes out of that idea that the whole world is a classroom. Mm-hmm. Will you define nature journaling for us? What is it? Is it pen and paper? Is it paints and paper? What is nature journaling? What does it well, mean to you?
1: I know. Okay, I, I have boiled this down over the years. I used to say that it was a way of recording nature with words and art. But I kind of like to simplify it just to it's a way of recording our specific relationship with nature because I love out-of-the-box nature journaling too. So more traditional nature journaling things to me would be keeping a -a line-a-day diary where you just record the temperature, the high and the low, what the weather was like, maybe something you saw in nature. Birds go into my, my line of day. Or maybe having a sketchbook where you do a little sketch or just a simple color study, or maybe a journal where it's just words. But then out of the box nature journaling to me is taking a photo and sending it to a friend. I saw this bird, I saw this plant, it's amazing. Or I'm gonna base my next knitting project off of this particular bird and I'm going to take all of the colors in the project off of the colors in the feathers of the bird, something like that, or, uh, even a flower arrangement, picking the flowers when you've been on a walk, putting them into an arrangement. To me, that's a little bit of a record of nature and the time that you've spent in nature.
0: So it's a way, and it sounds like there are many, many different ways, which, which is a beautiful bit of permission you're giving us, but it's a way of remembering and tracking and kind of reinforcing the experience we have rather than just letting it wash by and a way of being able to go back then and remember those experiences.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I just love pulling off a journal from my shelf, being able to look inside and remember a day where I saw something and I, and I took time to record it, write it down. And you think in the time, oh, I'm not such a great artist. Oh, I didn't write enough but you never remember that when you go back 3 or 5 years later you never say that to yourself you think i'm so glad i wrote that down or i i took time to record that you're just so grateful for whatever's in the notebook
0: and i hear from a from a lot of folks my age and i hear sometimes from my own mouth this idea that like well i'm not very good so i shouldn't there's this idea if you're not a professional painter if you're not a professional writer if you're not a professional the film- fill in the blank, you shouldn't allow yourself this creative practice, but it really is about process, right? Rather Mm -hmm. than this, and like, you're not going to sell it on Etsy. This is for pure enjoyment and remember, remembering, remembrance. Um, Yeah. So how do we get ourselves unstuck from that perfectionistic place of, oh goodness, if anyone sees this, they'll know I have no talent.
1: Oh, I know. Well, first of all, don't show your book to somebody unless you're really willing to do that. I mean, do it for yourself first. And then I think you're going to double your own joy when you share it with someone else. And I really don't think most people are going to judge you, but give yourself the permission not to show it to anybody. Just think about, say that you want to record a chickadee that you saw. I mean, think about even just putting a few sort of a few strokes with a paintbrush in, in your journal. It's just going to help you think about the shape of the chickadee. Think about that moment when you saw it in a way that you wouldn't be if you weren't taking the time to do this, so I would say give it a try and and just see if it doesn't help you and kind of expand your enjoyment of nature in some way
0: i 'm mm. always intrigued when I do take a minute and either write down the birds I saw or try my hand at at drawing my my four year old daughter is really, really into drawing um and she'll say, stay with me, draw with me, that when I start to try to draw a bird or describe a bird, I see it in a whole new way. Like where do the legs actually attach to the body? I've never thought about it before, but now that I'm trying to recreate it, so it helps you to see in a more focused, deep way, whether or not you can translate that to the page is another thing, but it, it opens your eyes in a, in a way. Yeah. And you know what?
1: I think that's what this is all about is opening our eyes. And I kind of see my role in this as an eye-opener for people to help get their attention and say, look, look at the beauty that's happening in nature. Look what's going on in your backyard or even out your car window as you're driving to work or school every day. There's so much happening and it's exciting and full of curiosity and wonder and people forget. I think especially we adults, we forget this. And they they need people and I think all of us that are interested in birds and nature, we can be this for our friends. We can be the person that says, "Look, there's a sparrow hawk," or, "Did you see that crow that just flew by?" People aren't seeing this, but and so they they kind of need
0: us to show them. Mm. So it's a it's an individual practice, but it's also a communal practice for you. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I think Mm -hmm. it just
1: kind of flows. It's an individual practice that flows out into the relationships that I have. And I think that's what it's meant to be.
0: And when you teach, and we won't give it all away because if folks are interested, you have courses online. You offer these journaling, nature journaling courses. Where do you tell people to begin? Where do you start people off?
1: Well, I always, I do recommend that. One line a day journal that's usually over five years. So you can kind of look back Mm -hmm. and see what happened in in, um, October of your previous year on the 17th. Well, you saw this or that, or something was migrating through. It's really gratifying once you get a year or two in there to kind of look back and begin to see patterns and see anomalies, these kinds of things that are happening. I like that a lot. I think get a friend. That, you're will, that they're willing to receive nature pictures from you and get a little text thread going where you send your picture and a little comment about it. Try to be descriptive in the comment. It really can be a, a, a wonderful thing for both of you to kind of give and receive these nature things. And then get yourself a little sketchbook. And in my classes, we use just six watercolor colors because we don't want to be bothered with a lot of choice. And... Play around with it. If, you're, if you feel so intimidated to try to draw and paint, start with color studies. Mm. And then you just have to choose a handful of colors from one subject, a bird or a plant or a tree, and, and see if you can record in your journal those colors. Mm. That's such a gentle entry. Yeah. Yeah. And fun, too. So fun. So relaxing. Everyone loves doing that.
0: I have three young kids. They are um, 11, seven, and four. And so I'm always in this go mode. If I'm not at work, you know, I'm at home and there's Laundry Mountain and dinner needs to get ready and, and homework needs to happen. And bless my little, my little four-year-old who's always trying to pull me into an art project because I find when I sit with her for a few minutes, it does something really beautiful in my own soul, even if I'm like, okay, dinner is now delayed. (laughs) Like it just, it just is, but that permission to play Mm -hmm. and she's the one who pulls me into it. But what I hear you saying is we can give ourselves that permission as well. Those who don't Mm -hmm. have a, a sometimes a little bit demanding four-year-old in their house can, can say, okay, I'm going to sit and I'm going to do a color study. I'm not yet ready to paint a bird. That's a little intimidating, but what color is the bird? Right. Right. And also if I just
1: shift into a little bit of a faith focus here, Taking time to enjoy nature is taking time to enjoy the works of God. And I, I think of this illustration, if we wanted to um, learn about Vincent Van Gogh, we, we might read books, we might read his letters, we'd read a whole book of his letters, but what if we never went and saw his artwork? Mm. How would we know this man? And I, I love the distinction between special revelation and general revelation, special revelation being what God gave us. Directly in his word of the scriptures. But then there's general revelation, which he created for us in nature. And we can't ignore that. And I, I feel like so many Christians forget that we have this general revelation. We can just walk outside every day and see the work of God. And taking time to record this is can be a spiritual practice. Mm. We're, we're taking time to relish these gifts that God has given us, and it's not wasted time. It, in, in a way, this is our gratitude back to God to say, what you've made is so amazing, and I'm honoring it by, by my time and my attention, mm. and it's causing me to worship and to love you even more.
0: I appreciate that frame of it as a spiritual practice because I do think in in many Christian circles, you know, I've I've grown up in the evangelical and the presbyterian world and we tend to be about Bible study Bible study Bible study head knowledge head knowledge head knowledge and like you said if you're you're studying Van Gogh's letters and all of the writings around his life but you never see a painting and I think we feel like That's an okay thing to do, but that's a luxury. Like what I really need to do is focus on scripture. I need to focus on loving my neighbor. If I have time, which spoiler alert, you never really will. Like it's not a priority. It's not going to happen. So tell me about that, that piece of why is, in your opinion, why is nature, why is this connection to God's creation important for the health of our spirits, for the health of our souls?
1: Well, I even right there in, in Matthew six, Christ is telling us, I think it's six or seven. He's saying, consider the birds of the air. And he's telling us, look out at creation because I'm giving you a very clear demonstration. It's like watching a movie of how my providential care works. And you might not be feeling it in your own personal life right now, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. If you're, going out into nature, watching these processes, nature has so many rhythms, so many refrains that she repeats. And the biggest one, of course, is death and resurrection, death and resurrection. And and she also repeats another one of abundance. Mm -hmm. And the world tells us too much that there's scarcity, and nature reminds us that there is abundance. And so I think... We can get so stuck inside of our head and inside of our homes that we forget that God has given us this incredible, incredible experience to go out there and actually tangibly with our physical bodies, feel and see his, his care for his creation.
0: Hmm. One of the things I appreciate is, is your love of the Midwest and your Midwestern background and your focus on Um, some elements of small nature, that this isn't, you know, go on a three-day backpacking trip. This is go into your own yard, you know, go into the trees in the parking lot of the (laughs) office building where you work. There's this sense of small scale and Mm -hmm. the the loving attention to a leaf, to a flower, to a single bird. Um, What is it about that focus on our particular place that can help root us Oh,
1: it's so so important to me, if so I can say this quickly. So I was born in Vermont, which is a completely different um, geographical look. Everything is so different. And I've been in the Midwest almost 30 years now. And it has been a place that I've chosen to love and chosen to see the beauty of. And sometimes I've wondered, why, why am I here instead of in, in this place that sometimes my heart longs for different looks? But I've always said to myself, Heather, if you can find beauty and amazing things in this, you can find it anywhere. And wouldn't it be more special to find it here than in a place that kind of just oozes, <laughs> drips with the natural beauty? And so I, I think I, I see the importance of that. And also I, I do over the years see so much beauty here in Indiana and in the Midwest. And just learning to appreciate nature from a different way. And yes, I think even in our backyards, there's so much. When you get bored with something, I feel it's because we're looking at too big of the picture. We've got to get down and closer and and look and see at the, at the tiny little bits and pieces that make up the whole that we're observing. And I do think there's something about being connected to the place where you are, you know, that the writers of scripture were very connected to the place that they lived and it came out in their writings. They knew, they knew the land that they lived in so well and they wrote to people that knew it. And I think, I think we're actually going to understand the Bible better if we are people that connected are connected to our own place and understand this love of nature and, and understand this, the ways of nature at the level that they did. I Mm. think for some reason It can help. But being attached to to our specific place where there's specific patterns in nature, specific birds, animals, plants, it's a way of honoring the diversity that is in the world is choosing to know and love the place where you are.
0: That's so true. My my journey has been the inverse of yours. I grew up in the Midwest and I, I find myself longing for the subtleties of the beauty of the nature of the Midwest. There are different textures of snow. There are different types of leaves. And I live in California now and California is that smack you upside the head type of beauty. Like if you're yeah, standing true. by the ocean and you don't get that this is profound, something is wrong. Right. Um, but I do, I miss, I miss the subtleties of the turns in the season and things like that. And so my journey is a little bit, um, a little bit of the opposite of yours is learning to say, okay, even though everyone knows this is beautiful, I can find my own appreciation Mm -hmm. in this big, beautiful thing as I'm standing with a giant line of tourists outside the, (laughs) the shore break. Um, but there's value, there's value in both. And, and I do think I am more prone to get in the car and go to the ocean rather than to sit in my own backyard. And Mm -hmm. your work is helping turn me back into those subtleties of what's actually happening in the ginkgo tree that we planted three years ago. How does it look different today than it did yesterday? Mm -hmm. Because I can do that in five minutes, anytime, rather than waiting for the big, bold trip to the whatever. Um, So thank you, just personally, thank you for (laughs) helping turn me back in that direction. Um, one of the your other areas of interest you've written about is the nature connections of authors whom you love, mm-hmm. the way nature has influenced their work. So take us through a couple of these. For instance, um, Laura Ingalls Wilder and the Dakotas, or C.S. Lewis and his walks in the English countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, take us through a few of your favorites.
1: Okay. So these all happen to be authors that really impacted me as a young adult, I think, and then Coming to it now with nature, I knew their work was was filled and inspired by nature images, and I really wanted to know what was the influence of nature on them as they were growing up as children and then as adults. So we started with Jane Austen, we did the Brontes, Beatrix Potter, and then we did um, some over here in the Americas, Louisa May Alcott, Laura Ingalls Wilder, and Ellen Montgomery. I'm looking forward to doing C.S. Lewis this fall. It's it's just so fun to learn about the nature that was in the places where these men and women lived and how it shows up in their writings, how it influenced them. Laura Ingalls Wilder got to live in so many different places, beginning in the big woods and then she traveled out to the prairie land and then up in the north in D- the Dakotas. And it's fun reading her books as an adult, you can you can almost list out all the nature. I think she went in research because I don't think she remembered it all as an adult, but she went and found out what would be the flowers that were blooming during this time or what would be the birds that migrated through these Dakota lakes and and wrote about that. And yeah, they were immersed in nature, especially because of their needing to be self-sufficient with their farms. Um, The Brontes over in England, that they would have written books like Jane Eyre The Brontes grew up on the Yorkshire moors that were very, very windswept and sort of um, just so empty of people. But they knew all of the flora and fauna. They knew all of the birds. They knew all the birds by name. It shows up in their poetry. It comes out in Jane Eyre. Even some people see a whole theme of birds in Jane Eyre. She begins by looking at a famous bird book in, I think, Chapter 1. It's just fascinating to see how their, their normal experiences of spending hours and hours every day on the moors ended up coming out in their writing. And Louisa May Alcott, I love because of her family's friendship with Henry David Thoreau. And in fact, she was taught by him at a certain point in, this, in her schooling, going on nature walks with him, and just how their lives dovetailed. And out of one, we got these novels and out of the other, all this great nature writing. So it's been fun in my classes. I try to base around the nature that was specific to each of these authors and and also take some life lessons from how did these men and women deal with hardship in their life and how maybe did nature provide some kind of a solace for them. But um, actually, here in October, I am hoping to be in Oxford and walk some of those paths of C.S. Lewis to get some more firsthand knowledge before we study him in in one of my classes. But he was a big fan of taking walking holidays, where he and a few friends would go and spend their days walking through the English countryside, staying at pubs. And I think it was the, the, the natural surroundings of Ireland that made the first great impression on him. And stayed with him, probably even inspired some of his Narnia writings.
0: Mm. Yeah, you can't read Narnia without realizing he loved animals. There's yes. Yes. You know, you love those beavers, you love those badgers. There's a there's just a beauty to it. I learned recently and you've probably known this for a long time, but I learned recently the difference between American and British badgers. And I grew up in Wisconsin yes. we're the badger yes. state. And American badgers are these kind of mean, <laughs> kind of dirty, like they'll rip your face off. And British badgers are these beautiful, like teddy bear looking. And I was like, okay, that makes so much more sense, the badgers <laughs> yes. in Lewis's stories now. Those would be friendly animals. Ours are not so much. Ours would make no. a good football team. That's why we got what we got.
1: Yeah, for sure. They're on my bucket list. I would love to see a British badger. It, that's a living walking around. <laughs>
0: right? Still a wild animal. Don't give it a hug. But yeah, like very, yeah. very much, much cuter. Yeah. Um, so you write a little bit about this. Um, and we've touched on it before, but I want to go back to it. This disconnect often Christians feel between special revelation and general revelation. And you write that too often Christians neglect general revelation. And yet, that is where God gives color to so much of what we read in scripture. Christians ought to take the command of Christ to consider the birds and the lilies. That was the scripture verse I had here on my church office wall for a long time. Like Jesus says, look at the birds, everybody, that we should take that more seriously. So what would that look like? What would that look like for the average person of faith, for the average church community to take that seriously? How do we begin
1: Oh, this is a great question, and I just would love to explore this over the next few decades (laughs) because I know that not everyone's going to be spending three to five to six hours a week in nature, and they're not going to have the time, but but I think it just starts with a little bit of an awareness. I I feel like so much can be done when we're driving around, just opening Mm. our eyes to what we're passing on the roads and... I don't know. I think it's going to be a collective thing. Everyone's going to have to get in on this together and encourage one another. You're going to have to start by sharing our own experiences and maybe sharing how those experiences in nature are encouraging our faith, fortifying our faith Hmm. so that people can see, oh, maybe I could notice what God's up to here in nature too. Maybe it's not just for one other person. I don't know. I've, it's going to be different for everybody, but we've got to get Christians understanding what's out there, seeing it, loving it. Mm. And I think it's going to put, hopefully, a desire to take care of it more. Yeah. And won't that be a great testimony to people around? To mm. see people who are caring for the earth in a, in a loving and responsible way, honoring it, um, as a gift because it is a gift. Um, yeah, so I, this is a a question that is foremost in my mind that
0: I, I plan to be focusing on in the next (laughs) few decades. And that's a good bit of permission too, that you know we, we haven't arrived, and we're having these conversations as as people of faith and as yeah. you know people interested in, in the natural world that what does this look like to help a faith community become more attentive to God in these areas, because we have often over as overemphasized doctrine and theology, which is not unimportant by any means, exactly and study and words um, at the expense sometimes of the, the breadth of ways that God has revealed Himself to us and the, and the ways God wants to connect with us. And I think mm-hmm. children are a great way into this. Like kids yes. notice the natural world. And when there's this permission to, you know, look for God in the natural world and not just, not solely within the pages of the children's Bible, kids, yeah. kids light up. There's there are different ways of learning. There are different ways of experiencing. I um I'm a I'm a pastor here at the the church my husband and I serve. And I keep telling everyone I'm trying to keep the birds out of the sermons and they keep finding their way back in like I was determined one week and then I read the lectionary text and it was the Matthew passage and I was like okay well there's nothing I can do like they're literally in the text I have to talk about that I know um but the the interesting thing is I've done it because it just Blows out of me. I'm a bird person now. This has happened. Um, but the connections I've built with folks in my congregation who now will grab me on the patio and like, what is this? They show me a photo yes. on their phone, or I saw this in my backyard and I want to talk about it. Those connections as a pastor, mm-hmm. those ma- like those deepening connections with folks in my congregation wouldn't have happened without the birds. And they bear good fruit when now suddenly someone's in the hospital, but we've already made a connection because they had yes. a great duck. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to the birds. Right. Okay.
1: And I think maybe this is what it can start with is conversations, especially with our children, our grandchildren, our friends, children's friends, it get the next generation opening their eyes and noticing this. And when we're reading scripture and it's mentioning nature or it's talking about a concept, we can pull the nature in. And when we're outside in nature, we can pull the scripture in that we may have memorized or some, some aspect of God. We pull it into our conversation when we're in the woods. And I think getting these two sort of things back into the same conversation.
0: Totally. Totally. That they want to speak to each other. And we've, we've kept them apart for too long. Yeah. Not their fault. No. (laughs) So Heather, as we start into the fall season, I remember that Midwestern feeling of kind of creeping dread of like, Oh no, it's about to be very cold and very damp and very wet for a long time. Mm -hmm. What is giving you hope even in October? Well, I,
1: I recently came across this quote from Henry David Thoreau, his favorite of mine, and he said, nature is a table constantly spread. And I've been thinking about that, especially in this fall season, as everything's coming into ripeness, there's berries covering the bushes and the trees, and of course, I see the crops of soybean and corn everywhere I go that are coming up to be harvested, And truly, if there isn't a moment, nature is this constantly spread feast. And I like to think about this time of year that we're storing up in our souls all the beauty and richness of this fall season in order to get us through the winter. Just trying to get some extra time in nature because it brings such joy and goodness and store it up. And really the hope for me is in observing nature, remembering God is the one who's providentially taking care of me. And and if he can set this feast in nature, can he not care for me and provide for me as well? It, it's all coming the same words, the same thing that Christ is telling us to do, but just keep going out, keep noticing what God is at work, and then remembering he's doing the same in my own life, even if it's not so visible.
0: mm that is that is a word. The uh, I, I miss that fall season, that Midwestern fall season. I'm a, I'm a winter girl. I grew up playing ice hockey, and I love oh, the winter, wow. but I was in the minority. You know, a lot of people <laughs> just kind of had this like, oh, no, here it comes. And mm-hmm. it's the opposite in California. You know, we are in the hottest time of the year. We are in wildfire season, and, you know, the stores have all turned over their gear, so now they're selling fall clothing, and it's 105 degrees. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I just – I don't know what's happening. I don't want a pumpkin spice latte. I want a Popsicle. Yeah. Um, and just those differences of, I love what you said about rooting that hope and storing that hope. You know, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the, the blue jays and the squirrels putting their acorns yeah. away for the winter, that mm-hmm. in those moments of abundance to take those pieces away. And maybe that is flipping back through the journal and remembering those beautiful days of summer mm-hmm. or that peaceful time of spring and, and helping that to sustain us during the wildfire season or do, during the long winter. Um, yeah. It's a really beautiful, beautiful perspective. Yeah.
1: I know. During winter, I try to remind myself this is the pattern of nature. Nature teaches us that we need times of rest and that this dead, dark time is important for all the life that's ahead. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's soup season. It's not all bad. Yeah. <laughs> fallow season everything has to have a fallow season which doesn't mean mm-hmm. nothing is happening it just means right. it's quiet it's under the ground it's yeah it's germinating that's that's that is hard for me i'm a doer and a goer and those fallow seasons sometimes forced upon me you mm-hmm. know by by god's goodness i think and my own my yeah. own inability to sit still unless i'm absolutely forced into it um is a is a good piece of of god's love for us frustrating mm-hmm. as it is yes. yeah <laughs> So Heather, what is, this is the hardest question I ask my interviewees, what is your favorite bird today? Uh, Okay, well,
1: I'm going to be one of those difficult guests that doesn't have just one. Bring it on. (laughs) Uh, Because I've got to have a, you know, a favorite in each kind of group. And so of the large birds, the eagle is very special to me for numerous reasons. But then in the songbird, I'm really partial to the eastern bluebird because it's so beautiful but not extremely flashy I guess it's just very comforting and then the bird that I love the most in sort of artwork is the European robin Mm. which kind of goes to my literary bent and my my British and what is it called Anglo anglophile that's what I am (laughs) and but then I, it, I it's whatever season I'm in and the bird I'm seeing the most you know, I just love those um, the the yellow birds right now the goldfinches ah, and then I think they're my favorite you know until the next thing comes around I would say that the eagle is always without fail one of my favorites but it's just too big and regal of a bird to, to really have as my super favorite personal thing <laughs>
0: You can't tuck it into your heart, it'll rip things to shreds. Yeah. In there. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> do you have a lot of bald eagles near where you are in Indiana? Are they common? We do. They were reintroduced a couple
1: decades ago. It was really touch and go and iffy. And now we have a couple in the park that I live nearby. And in fact there's a nest that I watch all winter long. It's covered with leaves right now, but It is so exciting. I drive by there on my way to work, and I'll check to see if the eagles are there. And, you know, I know when they lay their eggs late January, early February, so I see them at the nest, and then I'll see juveniles, and it's just so much fun.
0: They really, they're such majestic birds. I, I grew up in Wisconsin in a town called Eagle River in, in part because there were always eagles nesting over the river. And it's funny, we'll get a vagrant every once in a while out here in California and all the birders are getting their cars and going and I'm like, yeah, I've seen those. You know, it's like yeah. the one bird that I'm like, it it felt so familiar to me, but they're they are very rare out here and very, very exciting. And they always, I think because they're so iconic, have this appearance of Like they should be on a seal. They should be on a t-shirt. They should be on a flag, but they're sitting right there just, you know, eating the dead whatever that they, the fish that they got from the pond and yeah, they're amazing birds.
1: You know, I'd actually never seen one until four years ago, which I think is why it's special to me because I wanted to see one and I knew they were around and they just never showed up. But then the day that it showed up, it came within about, um, a hundred feet of me, just just he was flying in to get get some fish and i couldn't believe that right in front of me it also happened to be i was at the one of the lowest points in my entire life and the mm. eagle showed up in person mm. <laughs> right in front of me so i think that's why it's become such a thing in my life the eagle made this appearance at, at this very difficult time so
0: say more about that because i think folks you know it's it's interesting i talk to a lot of christians on this podcast i talk to people of other faiths and i talk to folks who are like science is my faith we're not talking about god i don't think god is i'm like that's great we can that's fine um but i think it's interesting because what i've found is christians have this sort of I saw a bird, it comforted me that feels like a sign from God, but I don't really believe God sent me an eagle that like, (laughs) we have this sort of like faith and discomfort piece to it. So tell me about like, what did that feel like for you? And what did that mean for you? And how do you attribute God's connection to that? Oh, I know.
1: I have those exact same (laughs) feelings that you described. And, And so I've been sort of watching myself over these years because I do feel like eagles are used by God in a special way in my life. (laughs) <laughs> I've noticed a few things. One, he doesn't send them every single time. I'm in a really hard place. <laughs>
0: it's not like and dialing in You're like, God, oh, no, I'm having a bad day. No, I know. Right. Okay.
1: He does not send them on command. Um, but every time they come, they're very meaningful. And he often does send them in hard times. I, I don't know. I think the way this all works is meant for me to keep my eyes and focus on Christ. And God, and not on the eagle, but he's using the eagle anyway. So they, they do seem to show up at transitions in my life in really difficult times. And they're just a reminder to me, I think, um, of God's awareness of my life and my circumstances. And that, that's the kind of feeling that I have of this connection. And, and God sees me and knows me, and I, I need to keep the faith. Mm. I think that's kind of what they've become in my life.
0: So, so. It's, it's not like an omen or a superstition. It's more of a it's a way that you feel seen by God. It's a reminder yes. That, yes. that God sees you. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's beautiful. And and a different bird wouldn't have the same meaning to you. And God knows that, right? Yeah. There's that, yeah. that connection piece. And eagles are all yeah. over scripture. Eagles are in the Psalms. Yeah. Eagles are in Isaiah. You know, we'll mount up with wings like eagles, which is a serious thing. Like they're powerful birds. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's yeah. beautiful. And I think part of the journey of our faith is you know, scripture is clear about so many things and our lives, we kind of see through this mist because we're just in it. And so mm-hmm. to be able to say, I'm not sure exactly what it means, but I know that I feel yeah. loved by God when I see an eagle. Yeah. And I know that God knows I feel loved by God. Yes. And to let that be a comfort and let that yes. be enough. Right. Um, it means what yeah. it means and that's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. I agree. There's, there's always that
1: mystery. Believe it yeah. in a mystery.
0: And we're so uncomfortable with that, aren't we? Like I, I remember I, you know, I went to Wheaton College and studied the Bible as a kid and as a teenager, and we never spent any time in the Psalms. And I think that's because the Psalms aren't rigid, they're not doctrine, they're not theology, Mm -hmm. they're poetry, Mm -hmm. and what in the Mm -hmm. world do we do with that? And and I think so much of our lives are lived in the Psalms, and we Mm -hmm. need these points of doctrine and these points of focus and the Ten Commandments and do this and not that, but also, you know, God is my rock, which doesn't mean actually God is a literal piece of granite, Right. right. but it means different things to me over the course of my life when I need God to be solid and I need God to be strong, and sometimes I need God to be hard because I need something to pound my, my fist of anger again yeah um that that the psalmic faith is is uncomfortable and maybe that's for our own good maybe the eagles are for our own good
1: (laughs) yes yes
0: for sure yeah the nature
1: imagery in in the psalms is definitely something my husband and i plan to explore together Mm. in book form someday so yes heather uh, (laughs) there's so much in there and The Psalms have been kind of a central, they're in the middle of the Bible for a reason, and they've kind of been a central grounding place for me, actually, since I was a young child. And when I haven't had the strength to read other parts of Scripture, that's what I always go to, and I think have learned to relate to it. And Mm. yes, so excited about the nature imagery there, and someday want to explore
0: that. Yes, yeah, I would read the heck out of that book. Write it soon. <laughs> Write it fast. Yeah. <laughs> well, Heather, because the book is not out there yet, yeah. where can people find you? Where can they find your beautiful courses? I know you give away, there's a little mini course even on your website mm-hmm. that you give away for free. So some yeah. of it is just widely available. Where can we find you and connect with you? You can find me at naturejournaler.com
1: and you can sign up for my newsletter there and when you do that, you'll get access to the little mini course connecting to nature. i will explain why I think it's so important and a lot of little ways you can start with that. I have a monthly subscription where together we walk through the practices of nature journaling. We have a different focus each month and we'll, we'll look out, we'll go on nature walk. This is all via videos that you watch in your own time. But at the end of the month, we have a live Zoom where we share all of our findings. We do a nature walk. We do a sit spot. We have watercolor and drawing tutorials and an introduction to the topic. And we also have tea time in the middle of the month with recipe and kind of extra books. And it's a lot of fun. It's just a way to give some accountability for getting out in nature and recording it. Then I also have those extra courses that are specifically about literary authors and artists and how nature connected to them. I should say that my membership is not explicitly faith-based. My faith comes across in my work, but it's not explicitly out there, at least at this point. Um, I just have wanted to make sure that I will be very careful in the way that I do that. Uh, And so at this point, uh, I just infer that um, mm. in my classes.
0: So like I'm looking podcast. forward.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm looking forward to figuring out how to integrate these two topics more in the future.
0: Mm. Yeah, and your courses sound like they could be good for churches, even without that faith component of just get mm-hmm. you out and then come back and, and reflect upon it. So we will we yeah. will link to your resources in the show notes for anyone who's interested in taking one of these courses or maybe just sign up for the free one. Get your... Dip your toes in the water and then sign up for all the rest because they're amazing. (laughs) Heather, thank you so, so much for the gift of your time and for being with us on The Thing with Feathers and talking all things bald eagles and watercolor paints.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. This has been so much fun.
0: The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis, Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. What is going your soul? Yes, it does.